time that we have something on Easter Sunday mornings that they didn't have in the scriptural account that first Easter Sunday morning. And you know what that is? Music. We've been worshiping the Lord through all kinds of uplifting music, but that morning nobody was singing. They were all crying. They were blown out of the water with disappointment, thinking that Jesus was still in the tomb that first Easter Sunday morning. Here we are, thrilled to listen to the praises of God with music. Isn't that awesome? I'm sure glad we're not crying this morning. Well, we all know that Easter is late this year. In fact, the latest Easter can be is April 25. But I was kind of glad as we were planning for Easter that Easter was going to be late in, in, the, in the year this year because I needed to come to Easter forgetting winter. I, I don't know about the rest of you, but this winter was brutal. You talk about the, the temperature, the snow, the wind, the length, the duration, the bitterness, the darkness. Of the, you get the picture, you know. So I figured, okay, it's going to be a late, it's going to be a late Easter, therefore I'm going to forget about winter, right? Wrong. Do you remember last, this past Tuesday? <laughs> winter is 18 degrees here and snow. And so it's like the Lord said to me on Tuesday, Pastor Al, would you stop whining about the weather? Just stop whining about the weather. I wrote a verse of scripture for you, Al, and, and here it is. It is Psalm 118, 24. This is the day the Lord has made with snow and cold and everything like that. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Anybody else that God wrote that verse for? Besides me? Yeah. So, <laughs> but anyway, have you ever wished that uh, you could go back in, into any era, any year, any event in history? Uh, I have my little list, and I know the very first day I would choose, and it wouldn't be Good Friday. Good Friday would have freaked me out because death and I don't get along too well. I've had mo almost 400 funerals in my ministry career, and, and so whether it be a person or a pet, death is hard. I mean, we had this parakeet by the name of Woody, and I developed a relationship with this parakeet. I mean, a bird. I knew its different chirps, and I knew its moods and everything like that, and I would come in, and I'd say to Woody, Woody, ring the bell, and psh, it would ring the bell and everything. I knew Woody very well. And one day it was time for Woody's pedicure. And so Marie took Woody to the pet shop. And I said, goodbye, Woody, see you soon. And then Marie called me from the pet shop. And if you've been married long enough to know that when your spouse calls you and it's not good news, you know it immediately in the tone of the voice, and I knew it wasn't going to be good news. And I said, what's up? And she said, well, we gave Woody to the, the pedicurist. Is that what you call it? And they took him back there, snip one, and the bird went, ah, and died. And she said, Al, the bird has expired. I said, can't be. I just saw Woody not a half an hour ago. And here's what happened. A grown pastor man cried over a bird. Oh, well. Good Friday. Had I been there and developed this relationship with Jesus for three years, and all of a sudden I saw him hanging on a cross, I couldn't stand it. I mean, I just know I, I couldn't take that day. But the resurrection, that's where I want to be. And then I realized I can't be. You can't go back. So what's the best second option? If you can't go to an era yourself, then you can go on the wings of somebody who's been there. So I went through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to figure out who was there at the tomb that first Sunday and see how closely I could identify with those who were there. And so I came up with four groups of people 
who were there. And I want to go back to the tomb that first Easter, and I want to take you with me with a cast of characters who were in that historical drama that first Easter morning when the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave happened. What a moment, the very best moment in history. And so let's go there and let's look at these groups. The first group are the guards. The only place the guards are mentioned in the account is in Matthew. And so we're going to look at these guards and we understand that Joseph of Arimathea came to Pilate and said, can we have the body? And so Joseph took the body and he prepared the body for burial of Christ and he took Jesus' body into the tomb where no one had ever laid and they secured that with a large stone over the mouth of that tomb. But the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees got to thinking, didn't that deceiver Christ say that he would come out of the tomb in three days? We better make sure that nothing happens because here's what might happen. His disciples might come and say, He's risen from the dead because they stole his body, so let's make sure we have a guard there to secure the tomb, and Pilate allowed that to happen. But at some point early on the third day, the stone was rolled away by two angels, and the guards that were there were so frightened that they fell down to the ground as dead men, and then they got up, regrouped, and ran away like a pack of scared rabbits all the way into the city to tell the chief priest what had happened. And so we pick up the story in Matthew 28. Some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Do you see how foolish people can be who are blinded when they want to be. I mean, these guards had seen the angels. These guards had seen what happened. They ran away, and for a little bit of money, they were willing to forget what they had seen and go completely in a different direction and cover up the story. Now, some of you remember a movie from 20 or so years ago called Sleepless in Seattle. Did anybody ever see Sleepless in Seattle? Well, if they made a movie of this particular occurrence back with these guards. They would have Sleeping in Jerusalem would be the name of the movie. Now tell me, if you were asleep and somebody came and stole something from your house, would you know who it was that came in? Certainly not. But this is what the guards were willing to do, say, his disciples came and stole the body while we were sleeping. And that's group number one. Group number two are the women. And we find these women in all four Gospels. So let's pick up the story from Matthew's account. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Four Gospels, three ladies. And in case you don't know who they are, I want to introduce you to them. And if you do, I want to refresh you to who they are. Mary Magdalene, the first one. She was the one 
from whom Jesus cast out seven demons. How many of you would have liked to visit her before those were cast out? It would be a very dangerous visit. But Jesus cast out seven demons from her. And then you find out that she is from Magdala, hence her last name, Mary Magdalene from Magdala. And then you find out that she's there at the crucifixion and she's there at the resurrection. And that's about all we know about Mary Magdalene, except some scholars try to connect her with the woman that Jesus forgave in Luke chapter 7 of immorality. And then that lady washed the feet of Jesus with her hair. The second lady is called the other Mary. And she's the mother of the apostle James. And maybe you didn't know this, but a lot of people think that Jesus went around for three years with just the 12 disciples. No, there was an entourage that went with them. And there was a group of ladies that followed Jesus around and would cook for him and care for the needs of the disciples. And this was one of these ladies, the other Mary. And now she comes to the stage of the drama at the crucifixion in the accounts and in the resurrection accounts. And she accompanies Mary Magdalene to the tomb. There's a third lesser known lady by the name of Salome. She's only mentioned once in Mark's gospel and solely in connection of looking at the cross of Christ and then going to the tomb to help anoint the body of Christ. There might have been a fourth. Her name is Joanna. It doesn't say explicitly that she was at the tomb, but it does say she was one of those ladies who first heard what was going on and she went with the other women to tell the 11 that Jesus was not in the tomb. Now it's very interesting to me that the first people to see the risen Lord were women. They were women. I would have thought that Jesus would have come out of the grave and said, okay, my 11 disciples are going to be the first to see me, and if not them, particularly my inner three, Peter, James, and John are going to be the first. But they weren't. The very first person to ever see the Lord was Mary Magdalene and the other women. And you might wonder, why did that happen? And the answer is, we don't know. The scriptures don't tell us, but I have an idea. And I'm going to put it out before you. Do you remember who Satan went to in the garden to bring the human race down? It was a woman, Eve. Guess what Jesus did? He went to the women first, a woman, Mary Magdalene, to let them know the prelude in the garden wasn't the end of the story. There's another prelude. Christ came to a woman to tell her that everything had been turned around and humanity is no longer destroyed but redeemed. And so the women get to see the Lord first. There's a third group. It's Peter and John, the only two disciples that the accounts tell us went to the tomb. And so before I talk about this group, Peter and John, I want you to know, in case you don't, that the four Gospels tell the resurrection a little bit differently from each other. And that's not really a problem. It can be reconciled, but <clears throat> some of them leave out details. Some of them might seem to have changed the details in chronology. Some deal with something that another one doesn't deal with, and somebody deals with a, a longer version of it, and the other one a shorter version. There's no problem here, even though a lot of people would come up to you and say, ah, if you want to see errors in the Bible, just go to the resurrection accounts. No, no, they're all reconcilable. And so Matthew, for instance, tells us that the women found the apostles and told, and told them about the empty tomb and the angels. And then Mark, or excuse me, Luke, all it says is that Peter ran to the tomb and found it empty and the grave clothes. And so he went home. And then John is the one who tells the big story about what goes on. 
with Peter and John. So let me take you into that story. John chapter 19. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. When Peter and John got there, and by the way, the other disciple in this account is the apostle John. They raced to the tomb. John outran Peter and got there first, but they both saw the same thing. An empty tomb and the grave clothes of Christ. And neither understood what they saw. They did not know at this point that he was alive. And so they went back home, scratching their heads and saying, we don't know what's going on here, but we're very, very confused. That's what the text says. And now we come to the last. In this character of actors in this historical drama, the resurrection of Christ. Group four, the angels. And they are the climax to the drama. They are the, the, the group that the story spins on. It's the excitement of the story. For without the angels, there would be no good news. And so we go to Luke's account. While they were perplexed about this, that is the women who went there and how they were going to open the, the tomb, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. If you'll remember just a few moments ago, I said each of the Gospels deals a little bit different with aspects of the story. And the same thing is true about the angels. So I've kind of wrapped it all together in a composite. Here were these angels descended down to the tomb. There was an earthquake. And it says that they rolled away the stone and that these angels were dazzling like lightning. Their apparel white as snow as the brilliant sun. How many of you were happy this morning when you woke up and saw the brilliant sun? <laughs> I was very happy. Well, these, the angels were just like looking into that western or eastern sun. When it goes down here in the Canfield area, you can hardly see it so bright in the east and hardly see it so bright in the west. It was just like that, without a windshield visor. And there it was, the fullness of light. And then the angels went inside the tomb where Jesus had been. And from that vantage point, they told the women that Jesus was no longer among the dead and that he did exactly what he said he would do. And then they said, now go get the word out. Tell his disciples. Now the people who saw these angels had electric reactions. The guards, they fell down like dead men. The women saw them. They were astonished and terrified. They heard the words and then they ran away. But the angels got their message out. It wasn't too long until all of Jerusalem and all the way up to Galilee understood that Jesus was alive. And these angels got their message across that the greatest thing in history had just happened. Jesus had knocked death dead and our largest and biggest enemy of all, death, had now been overcome. Isn't that good news? That's what the angels got out. And because Jesus rose, we who believe in him will also rise again. Well, that's the four groups. We have the guards, we have the women, we have Peter and John, 
and the angels. And now my question goes back to the title of my sermon. What if we'd been there? What if we'd been there? We can't be there. But since we weren't, with whom would we most likely identify? The guards, the women, Peter and John, or the angels? And so what I did is I created this little, what I call, scale of belief. Scale of belief. Because each of these groups falls somewhere in that scale. And I thought if, if you could look at that scale with me, maybe, just maybe, you could identify where you might be on that scale of belief today. So let's go to the bottom level of the scale. And the guards. It's what I call apathetic unbelief. Apathetic unbelief. Here were these guards, and Jesus didn't mean anything to these guards. You I mean, you have to understand, they went through hundreds of prisoners uh, every month, and they crucified them all the time. And Jesus was no different to them than anybody else. They didn't reject Jesus. They just didn't factor Jesus into their lives. He was just another one of those criminals. And, 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 and they were apathetic towards Jesus. There, there was no relationship that they had with Jesus. It's not that they turned their back on him. They just didn't care. Jesus didn't factor into their lives. And so in apathetic unbelief today, people kind of know something about Jesus. They know he was a historical figure. They know their churches. They know that people go to church on Easter and, and they have some kind of religious notions about Jesus. But Jesus really isn't part of their life. It's not that they're anti-Jesus. Jesus isn't relevant to them. And they're like the guards, what I call apathetic unbelief. They know of Jesus, but Jesus really isn't connecting in their life. The second belief scale is level two, what I call disheartened belief. Now remember, Peter and John were at this level. They had walked with Jesus for three years. They were so excited, and they figured they were in the inner circle here and that this would be the thing that would usher in the kingdom of God, and they would be sitting, sitting on the 12 thrones of Israel, ruling, and Romans' tyranny would be down. And they were so excited, and they thought this would happen any day. And the next thing you know, Jesus is on a cross and in a tomb, and it's all over, and they were crushed. They were disheartened. And people in our day, that are at this level of disheartened belief. We've had some, they've had some great experiences with the Lord and things were going well and all of a sudden they got the slats knocked out from underneath them. Maybe somebody in their family died. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe their marriage broke apart. Maybe they have a prodigal child. Maybe the finances, they can't pull back in and they owe everybody in town. I mean, one thing after another. And there they were thinking things were so good with the Lord and now they're terrible in our life. Lord, where are you? What is going on? And then what's worse? They hear other people talking about how good Jesus is. They come to church and say, you know, the Lord helped me here, the Lord helped me there. And that's just like Peter and John who heard these women come over and say, the Lord is risen, the Lord is risen. And these two guys couldn't figure out what they were talking about. All they knew, they were hurting. They were hurting. It was disheartened belief. But let's move further up. It's the women they too were close to Jesus. For three years they followed Jesus around and they were ministering to him and now in his death they still wanted to minister to him and so they wanted to bring ointments and perfumes and to anoint his body and off they went to the tomb and their biggest problem now was who would open the tomb and roll the stone away. But when they got there the angel stepped in. They were broken, they were crushed, but here the angels stepped in and the women got the message, but they still didn't believe the angels until 
Mary Magdalene, the first person to ever see Christ, was in that garden, and she saw this man walk by, supposing him to be the gardener, until she hears his voice and immediately recognizes him as Christ. And what did she do? She grabbed him like she would never let him go. And Jesus said, hey, you're going to have to release me. I haven't, I've got to go up and ascend to the Father. <laughs> got to let me go. And she knew that he was alive. And immediately her faith was renewed. And they started to go to the other disciples and say, we have seen the Lord. And their grief was turned into joy inexpressible. There's one final experience, not only in the renewed belief, but it's the last one, the belief scale level number four. For here were these women who were in renewed belief that God had touched their life, but now we come to the angels, and I, I have this level as unshakable belief. Now keep in mind that the angels don't sit 24 hours a day playing harps in heaven. Do you know what the number one job description of angels is? Let me tell you. Spiritual warfare. We are told in the Bible that the forces of heaven do battle constantly with the forces of hell. And guess who gets in the middle of that conflict? People. This world. We, you wonder why such bad things are going on on this planet? Let me tell you. We are caught in the middle of a cosmic crossfire between the forces of darkness and the forces of light. And there's where they are. But here's the thing. The angels of God know God intimately. They know the word of God. They know who wins. And even when the battle is furious, they are going to trust the Lord with unshakable faith because they know the outcome. And they aren't going to wobble. They aren't going to waffle in their faith. And this is the level we're shooting for. That somehow we would grow over the years to the point that even though the fires come and the storms come and I wobble like weebles. We wobble, but we won't fall down. Anybody remember the weebles? And that's where we are in unshakable faith. We understand that God is there. His word is true. That Jesus is available and reliable in the storm. And that he is our rock and our refuge and our high tower and our mighty warrior and our victorious Lord. <laughs> and we're not going to back away from that. And so, we want to get there. Where when the storms come, we don't cave. And we stand and hold our ground. Even when things are bad, we can find some joy and we can minister to those who are below us in that scale. Okay. We've been imagining today, what if we'd been there? We can't go back personally. But we can go back through the stories of those who were there some 2,000 years ago. And today, as we close, I want to know, actually I want you to know, I want you to identify with which group are you most likely associated in your faith. Are you like the guards who have apathetic unbelief? You haven't rejected Christ, but you just don't factor that much into his, that you just don't factor him that much into your life. Let me give you something to ponder. If Jesus is kind of a distant person to you and he's not that relevant to you and you're a little bit apathetic, you haven't rejected him really, I mean, you, you don't have anything against him, let me tell you something. Jesus isn't apathetic to you. You might be apathetic towards him, but he is not apathetic. And I'll tell you what, the greatest proof that he isn't is he went to the cross for you. 
And he rose from the grave for you because he knew that even if you were apathetic, if you didn't have your sins cared for, you would be separated from God and Christ forever in hell. And he doesn't want that to happen. And so he's not apathetic to you. And the big thing is that you need to move up a level to faith away from your apathetic belief. Let's go to the next level. Maybe you identify with Peter and John and where they were. And maybe you're wondering, you know, I've been hit hard. I walked with Christ, and now I'm disheartened. Things have fallen apart for me. And what you need to do is to believe that your circumstances won't have the last word. That somehow the Lord is going to come in your direction and renew you again and lift you out of your difficulties. You've got to believe that, and that disheartened belief won't be the last word for you. Or maybe going up that scale, the women. Renewed belief. You were crushed too. You went through the storm. Things were painful in your life. But then Jesus came along and somehow, even in a way you didn't expect, touched you. And things turned around in your life. Your marriage turned around. Your job turned around. Your health turned around. Your kids turned around. Whatever it might be. And you couldn't explain it. All you know is that Jesus touched you and things are better. And you can't stop from telling other people. And what you do at this level is that you are renewed in your belief. But now you go to people who are right below you who are disheartened. And you speak life and help and hope into their lives as well. So that maybe they'll get to the next level. And then the final level. The one we're shooting for is the unshakable belief level. That's where the angels are. And you say, well, nobody can get there. Well, I'm not there. I'm shooting for that. But let me tell you the danger if you think you're there. As we grow and our, we become more stable and all those kinds of things, the one thing and the second thing that can happen to you at this level, if you think you're really strong in the Lord, number one, you've got to watch out for pride. And number two, you've got to watch out for the fall because there's a lot of people who think they're angels who fall like devils. And so you can never get smug in your belief. But all of us need to understand where we are in the levels of belief. And so my encouragement for you today, this Easter, is that you move up a level in the scale of belief. If you're where the guards were, apathetic belief, you need to come to know Christ. If you are in the disheartened to believe that those difficulties won't have the last word. And if you are in the renewed belief stage that you become spokespersons like those women for, to encourage other people. And then someday maybe we will arrive at that top spot where we have an unshakable faith in God and his word, come what may we stand. I don't know where you are today, but I close with this. Identify with somebody in that story. Find out where you are and determine to move up the belief scale. Because life is a journey of growing up together as individuals and as a church, and we never want to get stuck at some level where our faith isn't growing. So if you need to meet Christ today, it couldn't be a better thing for you to be different from the guard, where they ran away and turned their back on him to come towards him and trust him today. At the front, I've got all kinds of booklets. And if you are like that today where you've never met Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that at the end of the service today, there'll be people up front that'll be happy to talk to you. And if you don't prefer to talk to anybody, just come and get a book, a little booklet. and take. It'll share with you how you can come to know Christ as your Savior. 
And if you've got friends and you wonder, I wonder if they would need a booklet like that, and you already know the Lord, these are available for the taking. You take them and share them with people. It's an awesome thing if this whole platform will be empty of books by the time we leave here today. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. Nobody looking around. And by uplifted hand, I want to pray for you. And your uplifted hand is saying, you know, Pastor Al, what I want to do is I want to grow stronger in my faith today. I want to move up a level. I want to go from unbelief to a higher level. I want to go from disheartened belief to a higher level. I want to go from renewed belief to ministering to others there. I want to get to the place where I'm stable in life like the angels. Would you pray for me that I would move up the scale of belief and faith today? Just raise your hand right where you are. Nobody's looking around. God sees it. I see it. And I'm going to pray for you. Yeah, there are a number. Anybody else before I pray? I see younger people. I see older people raising their hands. And Father, you see them too. Oh, Lord, I'm grateful that from this story, we've been able to identify with somebody there. And then decide that we don't want to stay forever where we are in our faith uh, level. That we want to move up a level in our faith and grow together. And so I pray, Father, that if somebody here today who doesn't know you as Savior, that they would come to know you, whom to know right is life eternal. <clears throat> and those who know you, Father, that somehow they wouldn't get stuck in despair, <laughs> but continue to move up to realize that even through pain and hurt and difficulty, you've got an agenda and you've got a, a good ending and that we could believe that and finally be like the angels who will be able to tell the good news and never, never doubt. Until one day we see you face to face, Lord, keep us growing. And I pray for those again who've raised their hands in the name of Christ. And all God's people said,